You're listening to episode 38 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? I'm so ashamed (laughs) that it took me so long to get this episode out. I'm so sorry. Um, In fairness to me, though, um, I'm working on my book right now, which I'm hoping to have out by August. And um, I've just been, I've been riding up a storm, really. And um, I'm just hoping to get that done as quickly as I can so that I can get back to doing all sorts of other things for you guys. But honestly, like content is just, <laughs> it's hard to just like create a lot of content all the time. I i have a little bit of empathy for the people out there who are um, pushing out tweets and Facebook posts and all sorts of other things all the time because, man, it is not easy for me to um, think about one topic and then be doing something on another topic and then to organize my thoughts in a written format or in a graphic format or in podcast format. So um, hats off to all the people doing that. Um, and I, I'm going to try to keep up pace, but honestly, I'm on a deadline right now um, to get this done. And so um, no promises. <laughs> we might be looking at every three weeks instead of every two weeks now. Um, but anyways, I wanted to talk about um, marriage and spouses and spouse fights on this podcast. And I particularly wanted to talk about this because of coronavirus. So um, on the one hand, I've been hearing from a lot of clients things like, it's been really nice. I don't have to commute. My expenses have gone down. We're having family dinners together. It's been really nice to have my husband or wife around the house more often who is normally out doing you know, whatever they're doing for their job, traveling all over the universe, commuting really far to get to the office, et cetera. And then on the other hand, I've been hearing, I've been locked in my home for two months and I'm literally ready to kill my spouse because um, we have no personal space, (laughs) right? So um, somewhere in between those two probably lies the truth for everybody. But um, I wanted to bring this up because I think in times of crisis, the like we're in the extremes of human behavior, you know, and I don't know if you can say, you know, having to stay at home for a couple of months is an extreme, but I think for some people it is, right? There's some man- mental sanity there of trying to be alone or be in a house with, you know, maybe just your spouse and your kids, or maybe it's your spouse and your in-laws because you live with them or your mother or your father because you're taking care of a sick parent and also your kids at the same time, right? Um, we don't really think about those people all that much when we've been talking, like when I've been hearing about it in the news about how um, single people are having such a hard time because they're basically all alone in their apartment. Um, but it's also, you know, could be difficult to live with family under extreme <laughs> circumstances as well. Um, we've been fortunate to, to not feel that way around here. Um, and, but you know, I can, I could totally see, um, and I empathize with you guys. It's hard. It's really damn hard. Um, and there's kind of no way out, right? If you live in one of these areas where you've been hit particularly hard and they have stringent, um, you know, stay at home orders and other things to make sure that they're, they're protecting the population, you know, it's, it's, it's hard on you. On the one hand, you want to, you know, make the best of your situation, maybe try to take as much freedom as you can within the confines of the rules. And on the other hand, you're like, what the heck? Like, is my government doing here? Like, I really don't want to take this off the rails about the government again, but 
I guess I'm going to do that because I can't help myself. Um, I mean, honestly, in March, I was like, okay, great. Like, they're going to come up with a plan. And then, like, in April, they're going to roll it out. And by May, like, we're going to have, you know, widespread testing and contact testing. And um, they're going to, you know, have a drug maybe to mitigate some of the <laughs> some of the um, symptoms people have been experiencing. But, no, that's not the case. In fact, the opposite happened, right? Um, instead, they decided to um, do a helicopter money project where they couldn't literally couldn't even get money into people's accounts. Um, so that's, that was interesting. Um, and then they, you know, had that business owners program, um, which we, uh, outlined in the cares act on this podcast. And then like a lot of people didn't even get any money, which was, you know, exciting for me to spend so many hours trying to get clients money and then to have the program run out of money. Um, and then they, you know, they had a new program and then clients got money. So that was exciting. Um, but they have done pretty much nothing as far as testing is concerned. I mean, they've ramped up the number of tests, so more people are getting testing. But um, there's no contact testing programs um, in place. I don't really feel like they've done much of anything to protect their citizens. And in fact, they seem kind of liable at this point. But that's, you know, I guess another podcast entirely. Anyways, let's get back to marriage and family. So this podcast is going to be specifically about marriage. It is not going to be about your kids, you know, extensions of marriage. It will just be about two people living together under the same roof with a contract exclaiming that they are married or domestic partners. Um, and people fight a lot um, and they fight a lot about money. And I'm sure these days you're fighting about all sorts of things. Um, and I'm not an expert on any of those things, so I'm not going to get into them, but um, I am an expert, I guess, on money. And I am, um, I've seen a lot of spouse fights. So um, to start with, one third of couples tend to fight about money, which um, that's a little scary. I think that's pretty high. One out of every three couples. I mean, guys, come on, like, listen to money owners and get your life together. Um, and <laughs> they tend to fight about a bunch of different things. So I have a little list here and we're just going to go down the line. So the first thing is spending habits, right? Two people fall in love. They have lovely dates. They get engaged. They get married. Maybe they move in together before all that or they don't. But then, you know, they, they get married and all of a sudden they share their bank accounts, right? Probably the first time that they had ever done that. I don't suggest doing that. I do suggest talking about your finances before you get married so that you don't end up in this situation. But generally what people find out is, oh, wait, we like don't do things similarly. Uh-oh. Oops. <laughs> I married somebody who I'm not financially compatible with. Uh-oh. But, you know, I love them on every other front, so I guess it's okay. Um, and, yeah, that is okay. And I think the thing to note about all of this stuff, which I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I want to reiterate, if you're married and you love each other, you are on the same team. So that means that you can get through anything. And I literally mean anything. If you are on the same team and you always approach things as we have a common goal, we love each other, we are on the same team, we both want our family to be successful, right? Whoever says, I want my family to be dragging through the mud, I want my family to suck dirt, right? Nobody ever says anything like that. I don't even think anyone ever says suck dirt. So I think I just made that up. But anyways, nobody says that. Everyone is on the same team. So just start there. If you could just say to yourself when you're in the midst of a fight with your spouse, we are on the same team. Even if you don't say that out loud, even if you just say it in your little head, we are on the same team and take a deep breath. 
I swear you will get through this. The second thing is you don't want to be married to a loser. Okay. So what do I mean by that? I mean, don't turn your spouse into a loser. Don't beat them down so hard because you think they're so wrong and blah, 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 that everything they say is sucks and is stupid and not worth listening to that you make your spouse into a loser. Nobody wants to be married to a loser. Do you want to be married to a loser? I don't want to be married to a loser. So stop turning your spouse into a loser. They're not. You love them. Remember, you're on the same team. Okay, great. Now that we got that out of the way, spending habits. So you get married. Now all of a sudden the Amazon packages starts showing up at your door and you're a super saver and your spouse is not. And you're like, what the heck is happening here? (laughs) I only use Amazon once every three weeks. And this guy is buying stuff every day. What is happening? Right? That happens. So Um, there, so usually if there's a mismatch in spending habits, there's usually also a mismatch in savings habits, right? Um, because those two things go together. Um, I've seen situations where there isn't, um, where, you know, you can kind of make enough income to like get your, yourself out of the savings problem in addition to the spending habits. Um, but I think the thing to note the most on the spending habits is you have to see it from your spouse's point of view. Um, and that's, I think, something that I'm going to say for every single one of these things, but it's really important to put yourself in your partner's shoes. Get a sense of why they are spending on what they're spending, right? Maybe you think that everything that they're doing is completely frivolous, but maybe there is a true need for what they are doing, or maybe they see it as a true need, even if it isn't a true need, right? And the only way to get your partner to change their behaviors, right, is by helping them work through their thoughts. Because if they continue to have the same thought over and over again, they're going to keep doing the same behavior over and over again, right? We talk about this a lot on the on the podcast. What are the results you're trying to achieve? And if the thought that you have in your head is getting you to a place where you're not achieving those results, then you've got to change the thought to get to the place where you can have those results, right? Maybe the results though that your spouse wants to have aren't the same as the ones that you want to have, right? So it's really kind of important to see where the other one is coming from and then to set goals together as a couple. And that might mean that you do things a little bit differently, right? You might've come from a super saver family or from a family where, you know, maybe sometimes times were great and you were going on vacations and living the high life and there was, you know, fancy dinners on the table. And other times maybe you weren't eating at all because times were tough, right? Without knowing your spouse's background and your background, it's going to be really difficult for me to give you specific advice, but you do need to see where that person is coming from and uncover all of the reasons why they feel the need to spend the way that they do. And similarly, you can share with them why it is that you don't spend the way that they do. Um, And I think that you'll be more inclined to feel good about their decisions if you can see where they're coming from, or at least you can help them work towards change if you can see where they're coming from. Um, And you have to be patient with these things. So savings habits and spending habits, they don't form overnight. Um, They are deeply embedded in our brain, right? So we learn stupid things when we're really freaking young, right? <laughs> and they get in there and then we literally never change the, you know, the crud in our brain and we keep just operating under that. So your spouse, maybe your spouse is, you know, 40 years old and you're 40 years old, right? And they've literally been thinking the same thing for the last, I don't know, three decades or more, um, depending on how early it was that they learned about money. Um, and if that's the case, like, how, you know, having one conversation with your spouse about how much they're spending is not going to change what they do overnight. It's just not. Um, and having that be your expectation is also just wildly unrealistic. Like you're just going to let yourself down. 
Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that you probably haven't had conversations like this before. So it's a first time for you. It's a first time for your spouse. So it's going to feel crappy. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel gritty. You're going to be like, this is bullshit. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Keep doing them. (laughs) So what do we say about first times, right? When you do something for the first time, it sucks. When you do something for the second time, probably sucks again too. When you do something the third or the fourth time, you get a little bit better at it. You get more practice. It becomes a little bit easier. So keep having these conversations. Keep trying to be empathetic towards your spouse. Keep trying to understand where they're coming from. Keep trying to be patient. Try to get everything out in the open. The best policy is to be as open as possible so that your spouse doesn't feel like they need to hide things from you. So if they're spending one way and you're spending another way, the last thing you want is to not know about their spending because you scolded them so harshly for, for what they had done. Um, I would say that's way worse. It is way worse to do it that way. Um, and it is way worse to really be hard on your spouse to the point where they feel like they need to lie to you than it is to just have open, honest conversations and be understanding and love unconditionally. Who doesn't love being loved unconditionally, right? So I would say it's definitely important to, to have all of that be out in the open. And then, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but it's creating common results, uh, common goals, right? What are the results that you want to have as a couple? How much do you want to save together? How much do you want to spend together? What categories are really important? Are there certain things that are really important to you that aren't important to your spouse and vice versa? And is there a way for you to fit all of those things in so that, you know, your spouse doesn't feel like they have to go behind your back and spend money on things that you don't necessarily want them to because there's no room for that in the budget? Or, you know, are you just stretched beyond your means and everybody needs to sacrifice? It's really hard for me to know without knowing your financial situation, but you have to have these conversations. And it's really important as a reminder that you're setting aside at least 10% of your pre-tax income towards savings. Um, and I honestly think it should be more like 15 or 20%. Um, we try to get clients to a good 22 and a half to 30 to 25% savings rate um, because it just allots you so much flexibility and freedom. Um, and when it, you can really feel what that freedom would be like as a couple, it's going to be a lot easier for you to create these common goals um, and to create a plan that would work for you as a couple. Um, and you're going to have to deal with the fact that like, okay, now you're saving and maybe you were able to make adjustments on spending and everything else. Now you have to go and invest that money, right? <laughs> Inflation is going to like whittle away your money. And maybe you two have different investing styles. Um, that's another thing that could potentially come up. I also see it where maybe one spouse is a lot more dominant and knows maybe a lot more than the other spouse about what they're, um, about what is financial and all the financial terms and everything else that goes along with it. So one spouse ends up being a lot more dominant and taking care of things. Um, and because of it, the spouse who's kind of a little less knowledgeable is left in the dark or, um, maybe doesn't agree with the investment strategy, but doesn't know how to speak up or advocate for his or herself because of it. So it's really important to have conversations about how you're going to invest your savings. Um, if you're married to somebody, let's say you're super, risk-taking, seeking, and, you know, you want 100% of your portfolio in, like, Bitcoin, and (laughs) your spouse is like, what? You know? (laughs) And they want to, like, put all their money into a high-yield savings account that earns 1.5%, right? You can see where I'm going with this. You're going to butt heads, okay? So you have to figure out a way to compromise. Um, So I think it depends on how you have your finances set up. Um, I like clients to have, um, have, you know, some, I like clients who are married to actually pool their assets and think of themselves on the same team and feel like they're on the same team and then make decisions together on the same team. I find that couples who live separate financial lives, 
they just tend to think about things separately. And then it makes it actually really difficult to think about things as a team because you are doing things so separately. That said, if it's working for you, I don't want to get in your head and mess all that stuff up, right? I don't want to be the reason why you have spouse fights. So if it's working for you, stick with it. If it's not, though, it might be a good time to open that joint account and be both contributing money to it and then maybe eventually get rid of your um, your personal bank accounts. Um, my husband and I did that. We got married a bunch of years ago. And just this past year, I decided that we no longer needed our own personal bank accounts anymore. Um, I did that for a number of reasons. One, like Chase has, you have to keep $1,500 in an account. Um, so you don't get a fee unless you're getting like the direct deposit in it. And I was like, this literally like cash sitting in a checking account for no reason, not earning anything. (laughs) And we had like, we had like four extra accounts, right? Like we each had a checking the savings and they each had like $1,500 in it. Then we had like this other account that had like the same thing, right? So like we basically were able to like find an extra $6,000 to like go and invest in the market um, just by closing those accounts. So um, think about that when you're thinking about these things. It's like maybe it even is logically, like if, if it doesn't bring you together on the same team, maybe from a logical standpoint, it makes sense to be moving some of these this money around and only keep a certain number of accounts around. Um, same thing with credit cards, right? you marry somebody who maybe only has like a debit card and then, you know, you have 16 credit cards, right? Like (laughs) you obviously look at things really differently. So, um, you have to keep in mind, like you have to keep in mind, like that your partner just comes from a different background than you and that's okay. And you just need to talk about these things. Um, to get back to the investing stuff though, like you're going to have singular accounts, right? It's not like all of your money is going to be pooled, even if you take my advice, right? Like you will always have maybe a retirement account that's separate because retirement accounts can only be named in one person's name. So, I mean, you guys get to invest that stuff however the heck you want, right? Um, what I would say, though, is that if you're doing that, you still need to keep you know, keep in mind the overall financial picture of the family when you're investing the joint money because maybe you have you know, super investments um, in your retirement accounts and you might be invested too aggressively then in your joint accounts if you don't take into the account those assets. So just things to be thinking about. Always keep your risk tolerance in mind. Um, we did a whole podcast. It was in one of the questions, and I, I can't remember which podcast it was, but it was on willingness and ability to take risk. Um, I guess I should like keep numbers of things on my desk, right, or something. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm always having conversations with myself where I'm like, I, I can't remember what number it is, and it's not helpful to you as a listener, so I'm sorry about that. But you can buy my book, and there's a whole section of that about willingness and ability to take risk in there. So that's great. Um, and I'll be able to reference that from time to time. <laughs> Anyways, other things that people fight about are past decisions. So, oh, don't you love this when like you get married to somebody and then you find out that they have a bunch of debt and um, <laughs> that you didn't know about? Uh, that, that didn't happen to us. But <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I can imagine being in a situation where you, for whatever reason, didn't talk about your finances and then you get married to somebody and they're like $60,000 in credit card debt and you're just like, what? I'm a super saver. Oh my God. How can you live like this? What is happening right now? Right. And then you like blame that person for all of their poor decisions because you would never make a decision like that. Right. Meanwhile, you can't even pick your socks up off the floor and like you're a complete total mess elsewhere in your life. Anyways. So (laughs) I was just, um, I, I, I always, when I hear couples, um, who I work with fight about things like that, I'm just like, I mean, guys, come on. It happened a long time ago. Like, what can you do now? What can you do to get past this? What can you do to make this situation right? What is one thing that you can do today to get yourself to a place where you feel good about paying down your debt or uh, moving on from whatever it was failed financial experiment that you did in the past? The past is in the past, right? You can't change it. 
I wish we could sometimes, right? But we can't. That's just not reality. You need to accept reality on reality's terms. So if your spouse does something in the past that you didn't like, have a conversation about it, but be empathetic, right? They're not the person today that they were maybe 10 years ago when they made a horrible financial mistake, right? Like, you know, maybe your spouse decided to go to college for something completely ridiculous and now has, you know, 60 plus thousand dollars in student loan debt because they also like went through deferment and, you know, then forbearance maybe even and didn't pay their loans off, right? I don't know what your spouse did, but what I'm saying is, right, like the person that they were when they made those decisions is probably not the person that they are now. Um, And even if it is the person that they are now, you still like need to be empathetic towards them. They're your spouse. You love them. You're on the same team. Your spouse is not a loser, right? All of those things. So um, I feel like I'm like doing all these hand motions and like you guys can't even see me and I'm just feeling kind of silly right now. But anyways, um, so yeah, past decisions. I mean, no blame, no shame. It's just what happened, right? Just get the facts, accept them as they are, and think about how you can move on. What can you do? Always keep that in the back of the mind, your mind. What can you do? It's all about that. It's not about rehashing all of that stuff that used to happen, right? It's, it's about what you can do today to move yourselves forward. Okay. Other things I hear are who earns what? Yeah. Income disparity is like one of my favorite things to be dealing with. So, um, I see it particularly in couples where it can go either way. One where one spouse earns significantly more than the other spouse and kind of holds it over them of like, well, you know, I earn more than you, so I can do X, Y, and Z thing that you don't want me to do. Right. Or I hear it the other way where the spouse who earns a lot less feels kind of worthless, Um, and feels like they're not contributing to the family's finances. I think either is bad. (laughs) So, I mean, on the one hand, if you're the spouse who is holding all sorts of stuff over your other spouse's head because you make a lot more money, I mean, I, you're, you're a team, right? You're a team. You make decisions as a team. You make financial decisions as a team. Um, you're, you have combined income. You probably do married filing jointly. Maybe you even get a tax break from mar- married filing jointly because like the lower spouse's tax um, or income pushes you down a bracket. Whereas, you know, if you had married another high powered couple, you guys would be paying a lot more. So maybe you can look at it that way as like your spouse is helping you save money on taxes. I don't know. Do whatever you have to do in your brain to get yourself on the same page, right? It doesn't matter who earns more. It doesn't matter if you earn $500,000 a year and your spouse earns $30,000 a year, right? What's important is that you're on the same page about really everything because you are doing things as a couple and don't let your income split you, right? It's just money. Why are we like letting it rule our lives? You love your spouse. You married your spouse for a number of reasons and it had nothing to do with money probably, right? So just, I think that you always have to come back to the results that you want to have, which is you want to love your spouse. You want to love your spouse unconditionally. And how can I, you know, how can you get yourself into a place where you can accept that? On the other side of that, if you if you're feeling like you're worthless and that you don't contribute enough, I guarantee you your spouse doesn't feel that way. I see it time and time again where one um, one person in the couple really doesn't feel like they're doing enough to move the family finances, um, and the other spouse is just like, "I love her. She's great. She's the best." You know. <laughs> And they don't, they're not thinking about it at all. So if that's the case, it's a you problem, right? It's, you have to work on your mind. You have to manage your brain. Um, and you have very deep, strong convictions in your brain that are telling you that you're worthless because you're not earning more, right? So that, that is something that you may never get rid of. You might insert new thoughts in there, but that like, 
that old frenemy in there is, you know, it's always going to be there with you. It's probably going to come back from time to time. It's going to be knocking on your door. Um, but it doesn't really have anything to do with your spouse. And I think that's the number one thing to acknowledge is that your spouse really has nothing to do with that feeling. Actually, on both sides of these is that your spouse has nothing to do with it and that you are the one who has to work on the feelings that you have to get yourself to a place where you can just be equitable and be fair with your partner and feel good about everything that you're doing um, and divide responsibilities accordingly. You're a team right? We want to like divide and conquer and, you know, get after it. I want that for you. Who doesn't want that? Right? Why are you letting all this other stuff and get in the way? I know it's hard. It's hard when you're in the moment, right? (laughs) But I know you can do it, right? If you just take a step back, if you pause, if you really think about the fact that you and your spouse are always on the same team and you feel empathy towards your spouse, like, I feel like that can really solve everything. I really do. Um, I'm going to keep going down the list, but I feel like I'm just going to keep saying the same thing over and over again to you. (laughs) Um, another thing that comes up sometimes is who controls what. So we kind of alluded to this in the savings habits of like the spouse who tends to handle the budgeting, the bill paying, the investing, um, like tends to be the one that takes full control over the couple's financial situation. And I invite you to not do that. So if you are the spouse who tends to do that, if you are the spouse who tends to take care of everything, you are doing your spouse a huge disservice by not including them. Yes, it's easier, right? It would be much easier if like, you know, my son, for instance, right? Like um, I can imagine down the road that like we are going to have shoes with laces instead of Velcro because it's going to be appropriate for him at some age to learn how to tie his shoes, right? Like obviously it's going to be easier for me to like put the Velcro on him until he's 15, <laughs> okay? But like at some point he has to learn how to tie his shoes, right? I am not helping him by not teaching him how to tie his shoes, okay? You are not helping your spouse by controlling everything because it's easier, because it's easier than, it, than for you to explain what a stock or a bond is because it's easier for you for you to do it that way than it is to explain where the money is coming from and where it's going and what your budget looks like, right? It's it's just easier on you. And you're because you're making it easier on you, you're making your spouse helpless. And I think that's the thing that you need to think about when when you're the person who controls things. And when you're the spouse who is the helpless quote unquote one, what the heck are you doing being helpless? Step up. Take some ownership, right? Like you can blame your spouse all you want about the fact that like they control everything and they don't include you, but like, have you ever tried to be included or do do your eyes glaze over when they first start talking about money, right? Like make an effort because I guarantee you, if you want to be included, they will include you. So as the spouse in the relationship, I'm the one who tends to take care of all this stuff, right? It does my husband no good to not know how to get access to our money, how, where we, you know, do all sorts of things, um, what our investments look like, all of that stuff. Right. And I realized that. So I started including him more <laughs> and he wasn't like F this. Um, there are certain things that I take care of that like, I, I just feel would feel bad voicing onto him, like health insurance related stuff. But for the rest of it, like your team, right. And you need to tackle these things as a team. And what if something happens to you and you're the one that controls everything? What now what the heck does your spouse do? Right. They literally don't know what to do. You've left them completely helpless. Do you want that for your spouse? You don't want your spouse to be a loser, right? You want your spouse to be a winner. Help them be a winner. And if you're the spouse that's feeling like a loser, help yourself be a winner, right? Maybe your spouse isn't the right person to teach you all this stuff. Like there's a whole wide world of web out there. You can literally find anything on there. Step up and find the information that you need to ask the questions to make sure that you understand your family's finances. 
Um, the other thing is I would say it makes sense to divvy up responsibilities. Um, and you can even alternate like people typically don't like to alternate because it's like one of those things where, Oh, well it's their job. And I don't know which week I'm supposed to be on all this stuff, but like you could have like a financial chore wheel. I mean, I've never seen anyone do it, but like chore wheels work in families, right? Nobody likes taking the garbage out every single week. So like, maybe it's good that like one week I do it next week, Pierre does it, et cetera. Right. Um, <laughs> do that with your finances. One month you pay the bills, the next month I pay the bills. Um, or you can turn on auto pay and then one month, one person reads the statements the next month, the next person reads the statements. Right. Um, and I think that the thing to think about is like, if your spending habits and your saving habits are really different, the, then sometimes also the way that you look at some of these financial tasks are really different. So again, you're going to need to be patient and you're going to need to talk about these things and you might even need to make compromises. Um, and you might need to even do some of these things together so that, the person who is less dominant in the financial relationship can understand where everything is at. All right. Huh. Let's talk about debt. <laughs> um, so I think that this is one of those things where if you are a couple, um, you have to decide what the goal is. Um, at the end of the day, you are on the same team, right? So if you marry somebody with a lot of student loan debt or credit card debt or whatever kind of debt that it is, they came with a personal loan, they had some medical debt, I don't know, you know, you name it, maybe they had the debt. Do you want to pay it off together or do you want to watch your spouse pay it off over time? I don't know, right? I don't know your situation. I would say for most people though, once you're married, you generally work together to pay it off. Um, it's not easy to come to that as your solution. I think in the meantime, you have the spouse who, who has the debt, pay it off until you can both get to a place where you agree to work together to pay it off. The best thing you can do though, is to work together to pay it off. And the reason why, right. is like, because if you have a common goal of paying down this debt, then you're going to make changes throughout your spending and your savings habits that will in turn reduce the amount of interest that you have to pay and, and therefore you know, reduce the amount of debt, right? So it goes back to compounding interest, which we talked about on this podcast, right? Compounding interest is great when you're investing, right? Your investments, they make some interest and then that interest gets reinvested and then that the initial investment and the interest starts to make interest, right? And so forth and so forth until you've snowballed, you've created this giant snowball for the base of your snowman or something like that, right? Um, it's the exact opposite with debt. So, your debt accrues interest. And if you're not paying down your debt balances, especially in like these student loan programs or with credit cards where they have like a minimum payment that's completely stupid and useless, right? <laughs> like you're, you're, you're now accruing interest and now that interest is accruing interest and so forth. And the interest rates are generally much higher than what you can earn in the market. So it's happening much more quickly. Um, so if you can get to a place where as a family, you can pay down that debt together, you will be better off. Um, and there are ways of paying down that debt. Um, you can refer to the debt podcast. We talked about the snowball method and the avalanche method, um, where the snowball method is that you pay off the lowest balance first. The avalanche method is that you pay off the highest interest balance first. I think you got to do whatever's right for your family. Um, I tend to like avalanche just because I'm, you know, nutty like that with my finances. But if you need like, you know, to see those balances decreasing much more quickly then snowball methods for you. And you got to discuss that as a family. Um, the other thing is that it'll repair your credit as a family. 
So like, let's say you and your spouse, um, your spouse has a bunch of debt right. And they have a low credit score, but somewhere down the future, you want to buy a home or I don't know, finance some sort of other purchase, right? It's better for you as a family to make sure that your spouse has better credit so that you can get a better interest rate. Um, because otherwise you might be applying for that loan on your own. Um, and I don't know, depending on what your spouse does or doesn't make, it might actually make or break whether or not you're able to make that purchase, um, or what interest rate you get if you do include your spouse because you need their income to get the loan. Um, and uh, I mean, interest rates, it's no joke. It's one of those things like having a good credit score can save you thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and it's great for your family. I've never met anyone that's like, I'm so excited to pay the interest on my debt, right? <laughs> Nobody's ever like, yeah, that's my heart's core. It's just, I just love it. I just want to pay interest all day. No, people are like, I want to dine out. I want to take vacations with my family. I want to have a nice house, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever says interest. So, I mean, just things to keep in mind. Like, if you can tackle this together as a family, you're going to be better off. Um, and I think if you do have, um, if some debt really doesn't feel like it's your responsibility, I mean, that's a completely different story. Um, but either way, I mean, I would say it's really important to be looking at this together as a family and be tackling these things as a family. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is family support. So one of the things I typically see spouses fight over when it comes to money is um, family support on both sides. So family support coming in from from older parents who maybe don't have the money and one spouse feels like, well, we need the money from your parents, so let's just take it. And the other spouse is like, but my parents really shouldn't be giving us this money. And then you argue about it. Um, the other side of that, though, is when parents disagree on how much money they should be giving their children. Um, and that one is actually the one that people usually argue about a lot more. Nobody really is ever that mad about somebody's parents giving them money, <laughs> giving them money. I mean, I've seen it once or twice, but it's not usually the one people worry about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so kids, I mean, it can be really difficult when one spouse thinks that, you know, um, kids should have to you know earn a bunch of money and they shouldn't be handed things, um, and they need to work for it, uh, and that they should take on student loan debt. Cause I had to do that. And why should they get, you know, their school for free and all this stuff. Right. And then there's the other, maybe the other spouse is like, you know, that's not how I grew up and my family always gave us money and on and on and on. And I want to do that for our children as well. Um, I hate to keep saying the same thing, but this is a plan that you have to make as a family. Um, and the number one thing is to really empathize with where the other person is coming from. It's probably because they grew up a certain way. It's something that's so deeply ingrained in who they are as a human being that it's probably not something that they can change. Yes, as a family, you can decide new traditions. You can decide how you're going to handle things going forward. But that's a new thought that gets inserted, right? And it doesn't mean that the original feelings, the original thoughts that they had about how they wanted to handle this go away. They don't. They will come up from time to time and you will differ on these things. So it's really Really important to have a plan. I've even seen families have a written plan about this. And the reason why is because they don't want to have a he said, she said thing when they can't remember. Um, so for instance, they have their kids allowances written down. They have a rule about like how, like what, how their kids can get extra money. Um, they already have agreed upon a certain amount that they put into their kids' college funds every single year. And they don't do more than that. Um, no matter what they put money towards other things, um, because that's what they agreed upon. And they, they do this because they come from such different backgrounds. It's really important to them to just see those rules from time to time and be like, oh, right. Yeah, I can't do that. It's not in the rules. The rules said so, right? Blame it on the rules. That's why you can't do it. 
<laughs> I think that's really helpful though, right? Because like if at the end of the day you created these rules as a family, you did it for the best interest of your family. So, um, and that's actually something that can be applied to really any of these points, not just how to deal with your kids. Um, I think that if, you know, the more you have really written down and the more that you can reference as a family or the more that you can kind of like have as a family rules or family goals, right? The more that you have in those kinds of settings, the more you can actually work towards those things. That's why it's so great to work with a financial planner because a financial planner does all that for you. They literally line out your goals for you. They write them down for you. They make them so bold and exciting for you that you can't help but want to do that and nothing else, right? You can do that for yourselves too. You can do that with your family. You can even include your kids on that. I bet your kids have goals as well, that the, the things that they want to purchase with their money are safe for it and on and on and on. It's a really great way to teach your kids lessons and maybe also learn yourselves. So I don't know. I think sometimes something that seems really hard can actually be something that's really good for the family. All right. So now that I blabbed your head off for about a half hour, um, <laughs> I, again, want to apologize for how um, really late all these shows have been this year. 2020 has been a big year for me. Um, and I really appreciate the listenership regardless. Um, it's lovely talking to you all all the time. I will try my best to get this out in three weeks from now. There, I, There's no way I get this out in two weeks. So I'm not even going to promise that to you. Um, if you like the show, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your spouse. If you listen to this and you were like, hey, I listened to this podcast about money and spouses. And actually uh, this crazy lady, she, you know, she has bad jokes, but she has some good ideas. So tell your spouse. Um, and if you like the show, write a five-star review for me, please. If you don't like the show, stop listening. Why do you keep listening to this thing? Um, <laughs> I, got like, I got an email from somebody who was like, I hate your show. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I don't know what to tell you. Don't listen to it anymore. There's like 500 million podcasts out there. Why are you listening to me? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I would appreciate more constructive feedback than I hate your show. Right. Obviously like I can't really do anything with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you like the show, tell a friend, write a review and, um, I will see y'all in three weeks. All right. <laughs>